was just scrolling through, uh, just looking to do some last-minute Christmas shopping here. Just looking at some of the uh, luggage carousels at uh, Charlotte Douglas. That's uh, Oh, that's a nice one. All right, uh, hour number two. Welcome to the program. If you're just joining us, Pete Callender here, News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Uh, no, that's a reference. The stealing of the luggage is a reference to Sam Brinton. Brinton? Brintown? Brinton? He's the nuclear waste guru. I'm not sure that's the official title, but that's what the Daily Beast called him. He is out of a job. Sam Brinton, guru of the nuclear waste. He was a uh, an appoint uh, an appointment by the Biden administration, but now he's out of a job because he apparently just totally mistakenly grabbed some luggage off of the carousel at an airport and and left with it, and uh, that luggage was not his. And then he was totally going to give it back after the cops tracked him down because you know it's an airport and they've got a couple cameras. And so they tracked him down, and he was like, oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was mine. I totally thought it was mine. I'll totally give it back to you. And then didn't give it back, and then admitted that he did take it, and then dumped all of the contents in a hotel room someplace. It's kind of weird. But then after that story broke, I think we mentioned it. This was like a week or so ago. After that story broke, then some other people, and by the way, if you work in the lost and found or lost luggage. I mean, yeah, I guess it wouldn't be and found because really in an airport, does anybody, besides Sam Brinton, does anybody really find luggage in an airport to just lose it? Um, so if you work, though, in this lost luggage department, you might want to go back and start looking through to see if Mr. Brinton uh, pops up anywhere on the videos. Uh, and I don't know how long you keep those things, but if you have people that are like, hey, I just got off the flight, I'm standing here, where's my luggage? It was a direct flight, whatever, you know, you might want to check your flight manifests for Sam Brinton because apparently he does it. I, well, he's done it at least twice. And what did I, I said when they caught this guy, the first, with the first case, I said, this guy hasn't done the, or, this guy has done this before. This is not his first time doing it. I don't think you, you don't rise to the level that he rose to in the government and then start doing something like this. I don't think that that's something you just start doing after you've, you know, peaked in your profession working for uh, the president as a as an appointee. So now he's out at the Department of Energy, um, and they like we can't comment further on personnel matters. But he attracted attention as one of the federal government's first non-binary officials, because of course he did. Right? Because we have to celebrate all of these ways that people subjectively choose to describe themselves and identify themselves. And so we have to celebrate these things. And I don't know if you've seen images of this person. Um, thin build, ginger topped, although all of his hair is shaved off, except for his mustache and sometimes a little bit of a goatee beard. And he wears dresses. It's quite... It is quite the look. Yes, it is quite the look. He's free to he is free to uh to make himself look however he chooses. I'm not going to call him they. I'm not going to participate in a play. 
right? I'm not going to be blackmailed, pressured into performing some sort of uh, affirmation for this individual when they're not even here. He's not even he's not even around. Like, no, you don't get to force me to call you they. You don't get to force me to deny what is empirical reality. So um, Sam Brinton is out at the DOE. He attracted attention for nabbing a woman's suitcase and then being charged for doing so uh, at the Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport back in September. They, or he, initially denied taking the bag, which was reportedly worth more than $2,500, but later said he grabbed it by mistake. Brinton checked the luggage on two other flights following that theft. So I don't think he was telling the truth where he thought it was his, no? The newspaper also, this was according to the Star Tribune, the newspaper also reported that Brinton admitted to officers that he dumped the bag's contents in a St. Paul hotel room after realizing his mistake, hoping the situation would just go away, which sounds totally believable. Not not hoping the situation would go away, just hoping you wouldn't get caught, right? That's what's going on there. He was hoping he wouldn't get caught, so he just said he said he dumped the contents at a hotel room. Then last week, we get a second set of charges filed in Las Vegas. Police shared surveillance footage of Brenton leaving the Harry Reid International Airport with another woman's bag. This one worth an estimated $3,670. The Las Vegas case had apparently been closed due to a lack of suspects, but officials there managed to ma- uh, match up the surveillance photo to news reports about Brinton's charges in Minneapolis. And it helped that Brinton was wearing a T-shirt that had a very distinctive rainbow atomic logo on it. <laughs> this being the nuclear waste guy wearing a nuclear or a, ra- a rainbow atomic T-shirt. So it was like that, you know, the I guess like the radioactive or something, or maybe it was an, an atomic cloud, you know, like a bomb cloud or something. I, I don't know, but it was a rainbow because diversity. And they were able to match that up to his Instagram account. From the same day. So he took a picture of himself wearing the shirt the same day he stole the luggage wearing the shirt on video. Yeah. Then there's the retired Navy SEAL who became famous nearly 10 years ago after coming out as trans. Now is detransitioning and calling on Americans to wake up. I'll get to that in a minute. First, let me get over here and I'll get David on. Hello, David. Welcome to the show. Hey, Pete. Uh, love your show. Thank you, sir. I just Googled that guy, <laughs> and if you do that, you're going to know that he was shopping. He was clothes shopping by stealing a luggage. I have heard, I have, I have heard that. I have heard that he would take the clothing and put it on, uh, and that's probably what he was doing in the, uh, in the hotel room. And that's why he was targeting women's luggage as well. That's creepy. Right. <laughs> Right, no, no, no judgment here. You're not allowed to judge. 
I'm allowed to laugh, though, because that's creepy. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. All right. Uh, David, I appreciate the call, buddy. All right. Um, by the way, I am going to go all the way down this path here. Um, I've got a bunch of audio from uh, an interview that Helen Joyce did with Jordan Peterson. And for folks who... All right, so I need to say this first and foremost because we are starting to uh, now proceed down this path talking about uh, transgenderism and and the uh, affiliated issues. I fully acknowledge that people experiencing uh, gender dysphoria or uh, dysmorphia, body dysmorphia, right? I, I could never understand what that must be like to think that a part of your body does not belong on your body, to think that there's something wrong with the way you are fundamentally constructed. And this goes for people who have anorexia, people who are transabilist, right? people who think that they should be blind, so they blind themselves, people who think that they should be crippled, so they, you know, they cripple themselves, they chop off limbs. Um, they, and there are people that do that. And there are actually other people that help them do that. Well, except for anorexia and bulimia, that's still, are we still discouraging that? I just want to be clear. We're still discouraging that as a society, right? That's still not good, right? Um, so the, um, the problems and the mental anguish that people deal with when they have these types of uh, dysphoria, dysmorphia, when they have these types of issues, uh, I am sympathetic to that. I, I, I don't know what that is like. I can barely even imagine what that must be like to have this gnawing at you all the time. And I don't say any of the stuff that I say here to minimize the, the real feelings and pain that people experience. I'm quite certain that they experience these feelings. However, that does not give you or anybody else the right to force others to accommodate the denial of what is real. And I'm sorry if that, quote, harms. I'm sorry if that, quote, triggers. I'm not, in, I'm not attempting to be antagonistic. I'm not attempting to be aggressive or anything. I'm not trying to be mean. But I reject postmodernism. There are things that are true. There are things that are real. And there is a much deeper psychological conversation to be had about what we are seeing. Luckily, Helen Joyce and Jordan Peterson had that conversation. So I don't. So I'm, I just pulled sound bites. So we're going to listen to uh, to their uh, some of their sound bites about this stuff. But we have a bunch of other topics to get to in this genre first. Talk 1110-993-WBT. Fox News reporting a Navy SEAL, retired Navy SEAL, who became famous nearly 10 years ago after coming out as transgender, announced he is de-transitioning. Chris Beck, formerly known as Kristen Beck, formerly known as Chris Beck, um, de-transitioning, calling on Americans to, quote, wake up about how transgender health services are hurting kids. Everything you see on CNN with my face 
Do not even believe a word of it, Chris Beck told uh, Robbie Starbuck in an interview published earlier this month. Everything that happened to me for the last 10 years destroyed my life. I destroyed my life. I'm not a victim. I did this to myself, but I had help. I take full responsibility, he said. I went on uh, CNN and everything else, and that's why I'm here right now. I'm trying to correct that. Chris Beck gained notoriety in 2013 when he spoke with CNN's Anderson Cooper about transitioning to a woman. Now I wonder, would Anderson Cooper have him back on? Right? I mean, 10 years, nine years ago, whatever, this launched Chris Beck into, you know, the, the public eye. Anderson Cooper thought it was a, a good enough story, a newsworthy piece, right, to, to highlight. Why always say the bias is in the story selection, first and foremost, right? So you, you heard this Navy SEAL and like, oh, this is good. We're going to bring this guy out and he's going to or she's going to uh, you know, make the case for why this is to be acceptable and normalized and it's all okay. And obviously the contours of the story help advance this idea, particularly among an audience, right? Because this, um, this is a Navy SEAL. Manly man, right? Archetypal macho figure, right? Military, so you got to think, oh, you know, all those conservatives, they love the military. See, see, so look, this is one of you. This is totally fine, right? So I I would like to see Anderson Cooper, you know, circle back, Jen Psaki style, and, uh, you know, talk to Chris Beck, see what he has to say now. Because for one thing, he's saying he's a he. He also says, he was very naive. I was used. I was in a really bad way, and I got taken advantage of. I got propagandized. I got used badly by a lot of people who had knowledge way beyond me. They knew what they were doing. I did not. Beck served in the Navy for 20 years, including on SEAL Team 6. He was deployed 13 times, received more than 50 medals and ribbons for his service. He said he's speaking out about transgenderism to try to protect children in the current political climate, that there are gender clinics all over America. That is true, by the way. He said that when he began transitioning, it took just one hour, a one-hour meeting at the VA to be offered hormones. There you go. One hour. Ah, Sounds like you need some hormones. There you go. I walked into a psychologist's office. And in one day, I have a letter in my hand saying I was transgender. I was authorized for hormones. I was authorized for all this other stuff. I had so much going wrong in my system when I started taking those. Some of that was paid for by the VA, and I am sorry to the American people that I did that. Beck said he has been off the hormones now for about eh, seven years. Seven years. He called it a billion-dollar industry with psychologists and surgeries and hormones and chemicals and follow-up treatments. you got clinics popping up all over the place. Again, that is accurate. This is what got, was it Vanderbilt, right, in Tennessee? Got them in so much trouble where the video of one of their uh, transgender doctors uh, or, you know, some, or leads the, the, the clinic or something, and they were talking about all the money they make off of these surgeries and how it was going to be this, you know, this uh, net revenue generator, because look, one, you know, once somebody goes through some of these these treatments, these processes or procedures, like, oh, man, you're, 
You're all in now. We got you for the rest of your life. You got to keep taking all of these things. You got to keep coming back for the follow-up visits and the the re-ups on the hormones, everything. Wall Street Journal, Colin Wright. Headline, every tomboy is now tagged transgender. The number of young Americans who describe themselves as transgender has exploded over the past decade, increasing by a factor of 20 to 40, according to gender clinic referral data and a recent report by the Williams Institute based on surveys by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. So why? That's the question. What is causing this explosion in the number of people, precisely children, right, under the age of 18? What is causing this? Why are we seeing this? Jody Herman, author of the report, calls it a, quote, bewildering question. It's a real brain buster. Gosh, I just don't know. Clinical psychologist Erica Anderson says that the surge, quote, defies explanation. Something is going on that we don't yet understand. Well, let's try to understand it. That's what that's what this show is for. That's what talk radio is for. This whole medium is constructed around this idea that we have conversations. This is the point. Let's try to understand it. I have some ideas. I'm sure you have some ideas as well. Until recently, oh, sorry, the two leading explanations are greater social acceptance and some sort of social contagion. Both are likely contributing factors, but Colin Wright says, I think the main reason is simpler. It comes down to a change in terminology. WBT. Colin Wright, writing at the Wall Street Journal in an op-ed. He, by the way, is an evolutionary biologist. He is the founding editor of a publication called Reality's Last Stand. And he says the two leading explanations for the explosion of transgender uh, identification, the leading explanations, but not the only ones, but the leading ones are greater social acceptance, and some sort of a social contagion. And I can say I agree that, yes, that those are both those are both partly uh, those are you know, partly to blame or their explanations, I think, of why we're seeing this. That's part of it. But he also thinks it comes down to a change in terminology. He says, until recently, the term transsexual referred to people with a cross-sex identity, a desire to be the opposite sex, or even a diagnosis of gender dysphoria. Transgender, the favored term now, is more broad, right? It encompasses mere nonconformity with rigid traditional sex roles. So if you're a tomboy or a feminine boy, if your expression or behavior is different from what is, quote, typically associated with your sex based on, quote, traditional expectations, well, then you're transgender. No wonder so many young people think they need medical help to correct their sex. By the way, Planned Parenthood provides services to trans patients at all of its locations and in 2020 described itself as America's, quote, second largest provider of gender-affirming hormone care. Do you think Planned Parenthood's financial interests might have something to do with this kind of all of a sudden push? Uh, particularly from 
from the left. And the, uh, like what yesterday was it yesterday where Joe Biden did the signing of the the marriage bill, right? The yeah, the Respect for Marriage Act or whatever it's called. And like one of the people he had up there is an awful person talking about. I mean, he's like sexual. He's got social media posts of him talking about children in a sexualized, fetished way. And that's who the White House invites. Now, maybe that's just poor vetting, or maybe they did know that, and they don't care. But there's an element here regarding kids that I think a lot of people, and and this is uh, Helen Joyce made this point where, like, she is often dismissed by the most rabid activists on this issue, and they mock her with this sort of, oh, think of the children. And she says, yes, actually, I do think of the children. And that's like, you, you may think that that's some sort of mockery to use against somebody, but it's actually not for people who actually do care about the children, right? The equating of sex nonconformity with transgenderism arose incrementally through a complicated regulatory process involving court decisions, bureaucratic guidelines that were presided over by transgender interest groups. Borrowed from the women's legal movement, the nonconformity framing was designed in the early 2000s and solidified during the Obama era in order to empower judges and bureaucrats at the Federal Office for Civil Rights to bypass rulemaking procedures and force schools on penalty of violating Title IX to defer to their students' gender self-identification. Right? This was a... This was a big case came out of the our own Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, right? Uh, where uh, I'm trying to Gavin, uh, I'm trying. I almost said Newsom, but that's not correct. I thought it's, it started with a G, I believe. It was like a G G name. Anyway, this this kid wanted access to the girls or boys. I forget it, it, which direction he was transing, but like they wanted access to the opposite sex's facilities, and there's a big lawsuit over it. And then came the Title IX uh, uh, rulings, and then the hammer brought down on North Carolina over the HB2, right? All, all of that, this was all around the same time. And what the, the the executive branch started doing was to try to force states through the Title IX and the grant making and, and, uh, and those types of rules. They tried to force states to adopt the different understanding of pre-existing language. This is why I joke that, you know, gender isn't sex. Unless, of course, it needs to be in order to advance a particular argument I'm having at this very moment. Then it will be the same. But, if it, but, if, but otherwise, no, it's not the same. We should treat children who are different with compassion and acceptance. Transgender ideology, though, does the opposite. When children say they're transgender, that frequently prompts a visit to a gender clinic, where a gender-affirming therapist may prescribe puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and even surgery to, quote, fix this perceived misalignment between gender identity and the child's biological sex. And by the way, the gender identity, where does that come from? This is just a feeling you have? Just in your head, right? It's a feeling? What's it based off of? Social roles? Stereotypes? Maybe some trauma? a relationship that you had as a child. I, I don't know. It's different for everybody, right? But essentially, these are feelings that you have. As an ideological matter alone, Colin Wright uh, concludes, this is, a, uh, this is regressive in the extreme. It repudiates decades of work 
by women's rights activists who rightfully gauged such notions as sexist and oppressive and fought to free nonconformists from social stigma. Subjecting children to body-altering surgery and drugs is a medical scandal of horrifying proportions, he says. Helen Joyce, who is uh, an author, and I'm going to play some of her uh, audio in the next hour, she talks about this idea of feeling, right, these feelings that men have that they are women. And what is particularly insulting is the idea that being a woman can be defined as a feeling, a feeling that can be in a man's head. Think about that. A guy says, I feel like a woman, therefore I am. What does that mean for what the definition of a woman is? This is why asking this question, what is a woman, is so illustrative, is illuminating, right? We now saw, well, where is it here? I have it in the, it's in the stack. There it is. This comes from MSN, CNN, sorry, CNN. Ah, what's the difference? CNN, woman is dictionary.com's word of the year, a word so simple and so common, but nonetheless inseparable from the story of 2022. Why? Why is this why is this the word of the year? Why is it inseparable? All of a sudden. How did it get to be just all of a sudden this term that now nobody seems to know what it means? Because someone has a feeling inside their head that they are a thing that they are not. And now they're going to force all to participate in the fantasy. Which, of course, is to deny reality. And the reactions that you get from some, but not all, but from some of the most rabid activists on this thing, on this issue. Right? These are essentially um, temper tantrums that are thrown by people who have not progressed past the age of two. They are uh, self-absorbed narcissists that cannot, uh, that cannot deal with anything other than self-identification. They cannot identify themselves as part of a larger group, as part of a society or as part of a uh, a larger room or whatever, like to the point where they need you to call them what they want you to call them when you're not around them, right? So this is all sort of the, the, the I'm laying out sort of the, the grand thesis here for the next uh, hour, because this is what uh, Helen Joyce goes into in her interview with uh, Jordan Peterson on this, on a, a recent podcast that Peterson hosted. And you've got this term now, woman, being, uh, or this word, being named the word of the year. And what Dictionary.com says is that uh, it is a reflection of the ongoing cultural conversations around gender, identity, and language, and how people turn to the dictionary to make sense of these complex issues. Okay, so again, that's what we're having right now, is the cultural conversation around gender and identity and language. And a conversation means people get to have different opinions, and we get to discuss them, Right. A conversation doesn't mean I have to shut up and just go along with whatever you say, which is precisely what has been occurring regarding this term and regarding this idea. Right. That's the way it has been.
and now you're now you're seeing a great deal of pushback and for the underdeveloped narcissist it their reaction looks very much like the tantrum of a two-year-old let's talk 11 10 993 wbt jump on over here and get a couple calls on Corey. welcome to the show how are you hey sir thanks for taking the call yeah all right miss me uh what is close my son uh is in transit okay uh, i had a conversation with him where i had to tell him my beliefs and because i watched you come out your mama's womb i know you are a male now, if you feel if like you're a woman, that's all it is, is a feeling. You cannot force me to feel like I should believe in a lie. Mm-hmm. The truth is the truth. And the transgender community need to understand they cannot force us to believe in a lie. Now, they, right now, you will be accused of not supporting your son's transition and therefore jeopardizing his life. That's and that's the emotional blackmail that they will use in order to force you to coax him along that path and to and to support him along that path and and I recognize like like my heart goes out to you Corey because I I don't have advice to give to parents although I you know I don't have kids so that usually means I have the best parenting advice generally um, <laughs> but. I think I do. Yeah, no, I, I don't, but I, I don't know what to even begin to tell a parent. I, I mean, I have some stories. I do. I have a couple. Um, there is one at the Daily Signal by Charlie Jacobs, uh, What I Learned Rescuing My Daughter from Her Transgender Fantasy. Um, and a lot of this happens. How old is your son? Uh, he's 25. He's 5? 25. Oh, 25. Okay, 25. Um, what I told my channel is, you know we love you. Do not take our truth and disregard it for love. We love you. Now, if you want us to love your transition, you love the fact that we know the truth. And I have no problems with my child. Mm-hmm. What does he? What does he think of the arguments that that sex is biological? What does he say to that? That he he just says no. It's in my it's in my head. It's my feelings, and and it's a social construct. Yes, sir. It's always a feeling. Now, mm-hmm. when I showed him the bar for me, which is half male, half woman, my question to him was, "Are y'all saying God and your parents made a mistake?" Mm-hmm. Now, if you can't answer that question, we got a we got a real psychological problem. So the thing, well, the thing you're you're also running into here is that, and it is. The more I have studied this, the more I have come to agree with the idea that um, just like wokeism is uh, is a religion, so too is this. Um, it, it requires it requires belief and and utter conformity to the belief system, and people then internalize this faith so much so uh, that you're. You're trying to break through. It is it's like trying to undermine somebody's faith in religion when they're a believer. It's that is a very difficult thing to try to do. And um, I yeah I, I don't know. You're dealing with someone who is an adult at this point, so it's not like I can say that they're going through puberty and you can kind of point to those changes and say just wait. They they are of their own mind now. Yes, and that's what we 
dealing with the mind when you get to that age. And if I could, before I get off this, I had it with my granddaughter, who's seven. When she came out and said, uh, Papa, he's a man, but dressing like a woman. Mm-hmm. Everybody wanted to do the system. I said, no, you're not going to convince my granddaughter to believe in the lie. Right. As long as she knows the truth. Accept that. So here's something to keep in mind also. Uh, sex emerged, like genders, the male, female, sex emerged somewhere around 1.2 billion years ago. So over a billion years ago, even before trees, there was this, there, there were the ideas of, right, sexes, male and female. The brain emerges 500 million years ago. So what does that tell us? That the, the genders, the two genders, male and female, actually predates the development of a central nervous system and the ability to conceptualize anything. So this idea that, oh, these are feelings of mine. Right, but those feelings of yours only developed half a billion years after the things that you deny exist were already in existence, right? So these concepts were pre-existing the ability to conceptualize that there is some sort of a difference between sex and gender. Sex sex is over a billion years old. Male, female is over a billion years old. The brain is a half a billion years old. So you're trying to now change this reality, but the reality is the reality. And that's the problem. I, I, my heart goes out to you, Corey. I wish you all the best and prayers for comfort and peace and healing for you and your family. Thank you for the call. I do appreciate it. We'll get into some of this audio from the uh, interview between Helen Joyce and Jordan Peterson up next on News Talk 1110 99.3 WBT.